Well, hey, friends, and welcome to The Messy Table, an ordinary space for real women, imperfect stories, and the God who's always at work in our mess. And that is a very good thing because we all have good messes and hard messes. Good messes like flour all over your kitchen because it's Thanksgiving week, y'all. And hard messes like missing that special someone because it's Thanksgiving week. And whether you end up listening to this exact episode right as it airs on Thanksgiving week or sometime in the future, know that we here at The Messy Table are so ridiculously thankful for you. Not just the collective you, but you, you, you who is listening to this right now, who is taking time to show up, who is choosing to broaden your own perspective by hearing someone else's story, who is expecting the designer, creator, sustainer of this world to meet you, even here. You, who is insanely loved by that very same God, even when you don't even know it. So through all of those highs and lows and awkward tensions and messy complexities and unanswered questions that we all face, we are certain God is good and we are just so glad you're here. Well, if we haven't yet had the chance to meet, my name is Jen Jewell, and I consider it such a joy to host this faith-fueled conversation-style podcast, which aims to be a place, even if just for a moment, where you can take a deep breath of truth and encouragement. And this podcast happens to release a brand new story of hope into your world, your speakers, every other Tuesday. Guys, back with me today is my co-host, is my dear friend, who's really pretty amazing, the Cindy Beal. And y'all, we are partnered with the women of our church, Life Church, where we are also massive fans of the YouVersion Bible app, God's Word literally in our back pockets for free wherever we go. And I'm sure you already have it. If not, you've been hiding under a rock. But even if you do and you don't really use it, it is a fantastic tool to not only engage in God's Word, but engage in God's Word with community. All right, guys. Well, the time is now and there is no time to waste because our guest today is just straight up wonderful. And we know you're going to be one, encouraged by her story and two, reminded of true things, which is basically our goal. So we'll count it as a win. Well, hailing from the Golden State of California, Hosanna Wong is a powerhouse spoken word artist, as well as an incredible wife and speaker and author and friend. Y'all, she is passionate about empowering us to know who we are, to live out our purpose, and to reveal God's love to the actual people we know. So if you have ever felt like you are carrying the weight of the world, Hosanna is going to give us some perspective. So get excited, grab your coffee, and join us at the messy table. Well, Hosanna, it's such an honor to have you. In fact, anytime I've heard you speak, you've encouraged me and you've challenged me mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've definitely gained a fresh perspective. So welcome to the messy table. Oh my goodness. Thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here. You guys, this little corner of the world and with your community. I'm so excited. Yeah. Uh, you guys, I cannot tell you how much I love Hosanna. I have the privilege of actually knowing her like a real life friend. <laughs> Hosanna, do you remember the first time we met? Man, the first time we met? I don't know. Okay. Do you remember? So I do. I don't remember the year. I think it was probably like 2013-ish, 13 or 14. And Were we in Nashville? We were in Vegas. Oh, Vegas. And I came to Vegas for Leading and Loving It. Yeah. And you were either at the hotel when I got there or at the airport. I can't remember. And you were so, like, you were younger, obviously, because I just remember this little kid who yeah. did the spoken word art, you know, who's a spoken word artist. And I just remember going, 
hi, Hosanna. You're like, hi. It Aww. was just so fun to meet you. And um, little baby Hosanna. Yeah, she was a little babe back then. So <laughs> we uh, and then we got to be uh, good friends over the years and just yeah. serving in that ministry. So, yeah. yeah, super fun. I love that. It makes sense that we would be in a hotel or an airport. That's typically where I am. Right, right, for sure. Or in a church. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. I love that. But um, one of the things that I was blown away by is, like I said, I, I saw this young girl. But then when you got on stage, because that's how I first knew you was a spoken word artist. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you weren't necessarily speaking at different churches necessarily. You were doing spoken word. And, oh, my goodness, I was like where did that little girl go? Like there's this powerful (laughs) woman of God on the stage who is, can preach in the whole poetic world, which was amazing to me. So you Mm -hmm. guys ever hear Hosanna, you've got to hear that part of her ministry. Yeah. I appreciate that friend. And I appreciate like every time we'd run into each other and get to do ministry together, you'd always ask me really personal, (laughs) really personal (laughs) questions, but truly like with a lot of uh, wisdom and depth and perspective of like, hi, so you're doing it. Um, how's your marriage? Hey, how's your community? And asking those things that are really about my health and really about my relationships and my perspective and my soul. And I always really appreciated that. So I love you, friend. I well, love that. You're sweet. Love you. I'm excited for this little time together, though. I know. It'd be awesome. All right, let's just jump right in. Even though, Hosanna, I know you and I've got some years of experience with you, I'd love for our listeners to hear a little bit about you. Kind yeah. of give us the the 411 on who Hosanna Wong is. Yeah. So I grew up, I'm on the streets of San Francisco. My dad, my dad was a, a drug addict for 15 years. He fought in a Chinese gang. He had bullet holes alongside his calves from all the times he ran from the police from the last time he robbed someplace wow. and he met Jesus and Jesus changed his whole life. Mm-hmm. And awesome. my dad ended up starting an outreach to those living without homes and battling with addictions on the streets of San Francisco. And that's how I grew up. We did services three days a week on the streets there. That's how I learned church. People brought their bottles. People brought their needles. I learned later in life when other people said they were also raised in church. We were not talking about the exact same thing. (laughs) I'm a church girl too. Mm. And I just had to learn kind of the different kind of churches that people were raised in. Um, But that's where I learned that Jesus could save anyone's soul and redeem anyone's story. And it's also where I learned the art of spoken word poetry. All my friends on the streets, my ex-convict friends living without homes, battling with addictions. This was just the language they spoke. They Mm. spoke in hip hop, freestyling, graffiti, rap. And I couldn't do any of those things, but I really love this art of spoken word poetry, um, which is just, you know, people are more familiar maybe with written poetry, Mm -hmm. but spoken word poetry is just poetry meant to be heard as opposed to read. Um, It's meant to be experienced. It's vocal. I like to say that it's a marriage between Tupac and Anne Shirley. It's, (laughs) you know, it's something right in the middle there. And all my friends did it on the streets. And that's how I learned the art of spoken word poetry. And then as Jesus was transforming my life and becoming more real to me, it became the method to talk to my friends about Jesus just because it, it was how everyone spoke. Mm-hmm. And so as I talked about the truth about my real life, Jesus was just naturally coming out of it. And then I realized it helped change people's minds about who they were, how valuable they were, it's about who God was and how he wanted to be involved in their lives. And when I saw like, oh, this kind of works, um, I just decided I'm going to do this again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I grew up. That's how I learned church. That's how I learned God. And that's how I learned kind of how to communicate with my own community. Mm-hmm. And that's me. That's you. Very good. <laughs> that's my background. Yeah, that's your background. I love it. And you're married. Yes. 
That's the better years. Yes, for sure. For sure. We, <laughs> I've been married now for seven years. Um, the best seven years of his mm. life. <laughs> Come on. He Perfect. is very blessed. He is so blessed. Yeah. So what do you do on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. So I ended up, you know, um, I learned spoken word poetry and then my dad, my hero, he passed away when I was 18 Mm. and I, you know, I saw this man with this incredible testimony do extraordinary things for God. And after he passed away, it was kind of like, what can I do? I can't do that. And I don't have this crazy testimony to do this on the streets and I can't preach like him and I can't lead like him. What can I do? And the only thing I knew how to do was poetry to talk about Jesus through poems to my community. So I kept doing that. And about 10 years ago this year, I felt like God called me to pack my life into suitcases and start traveling the country to talk about Jesus through poetry. Mm. Um, And it was humbling. It didn't sound cool. It wasn't what I went to college for. And I didn't have people alongside of me in it. Um, But I, I said yes. And I started traveling the country and talking about Jesus through poetry. And, um, I was on the road, maybe living without a home, living from hotel room to hotel room, guest room to guest room, cotton living room to cotton living room for about four and a half years in prisons, recovery ministries, conferences, then churches. And then as Cindy mentioned later, I got asked to speak, um, which is really just spoken word, but longer, Mm, you know, it's just 30 (laughs) minutes. And you don't have to rhyme, right? (laughs) Some rhyming and some screaming, but just less. Um, So I learned how to do that. And so now it's been 10 years since that day, kind of taking that step of faith on the road. I met my husband who was a worship pastor at a church and married him. You know, you're not supposed to pick your favorite churches, but that church is at least top 10. For sure. For me, you went, I went for a gig, left with the husband. I still tithe there from time to time. Like, uh, thank you for what you did for me. Here's 10%. <laughs> and uh, yeah. we've been married now for seven years. So I still do what I can to reach my community. And sometimes that is still through spoken word. And sometimes it's through speaking. And sometimes it's through books, but kind of just trying to share, you know, what I know of Jesus and who I know him to be and what he's done in my life through whatever communication style is working to help people in this moment. Mm-hmm. And so just like I learned that through spoken word, sometimes I do that still, and yeah. sometimes through speaking and sometimes do that, but I still travel, but now I have a home with my husband, which is wonderful. That's awesome. <laughs> so I'm thinking back to when you said, you know, you grew up in church and then you would meet people who also grew up in church and you realized, oh, <laughs> these two things are not the same. One does not look like the other. So <laughs> I, th- I think, okay, you start touring and you're a spoken word artist and maybe yeah. you are around some of the rougher crowds in a recovery center or like you mentioned, but you're also in churches. Yeah. So like people like me, I grew up in the church and it was definitely like what you would consider a Bible belt kind of church. Like a pew. Yeah, 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 for sure. So as you moved and started touring and doing all sorts of things in that realm, like how was it for you to navigate a new kind of church. Because I think if I walked into a church like how you knew church, I would be shocked and have to figure out how to do things to navigate. I'm just curious if you kind of had the same thing in an opposite way. Yeah, I was rough around the edges for sure as I came into these buildings. But I would say, you know, the truth is when I started traveling to talk about Jesus through spoken word poetry 10 years ago, I think I had a hard heart towards the church. I think for a couple of reasons, I think one is I was maybe a little bit disillusioned as I felt like what we were doing on the streets was real church, helping real people. And as churches would come and, and help us, and as I would visit churches, you know, I didn't feel like they were doing the hard work, the real work. You know, I think I 
had a lot of pride and ego in what our ministry did versus the churches that came and volunteered with us. And so I think there was some kind of um, pride and comparison that blinded me from seeing what the local church is also about. Mm. I think I also, from the churches I experienced, my unique experience with the churches I grew up in or around, I think I really struggled with getting to know people, feeling like, man, I don't know who here actually loves God or likes people. Mm -hmm. I think I saw some things in the church I shouldn't have seen and heard some things I should never have heard. And I experienced some kind of hurt in the church, as I know maybe many listeners have, you know, there was a person you trusted, you know, that took advantage of that trust. There was one situation where now this person who you attach to the church really makes you bitter towards this whole community. Mm. And so even as I went on the road, I knew that Jesus could save souls and redeem stories. And I was all in for Jesus, but I don't think I was in for Jesus people. Mm. So while I went on the road to travel and talk in churches, I didn't feel like I was a part of what they were doing, nor did I want to be. I had a really hard heart towards the church. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think as I started traveling and going into all these churches, you know, similar to your church, these churches with maybe families that were like families I did not grow up around. Mm. Um, As I started living in guest rooms with pastors and their wives and their kids and staying over the weekend to be a part of their small group and heard them get very real and raw. I mean, I'm learning mm. that people inside of these churches are not dealing with things too different from my <laughs> friends on the streets. They're real people too. Yeah. We have same brokenness, same insecurities, same questions and realizing like, wow, I have had such a hard heart towards this community. I had no idea the beauty that was available in these communities. And as I was staying in guest rooms or staying um, in living rooms with these families all over the country, across denominations, across cultures, across state lines, um, staying at Thanksgivings with families, you know, pastors invited me to stay an extra week, even though I'm not with their church that week. As I saw the beauty of the community of the church, I realized the truth about the church, the truth about what the community of the church could be, Mm. and also that I could be a part Mm. of creating the community I longed for, partnering with God to build the community Jesus prayed for. And I think it was really me getting out of where I was from and some of the hurt in my heart, the bitterness I had held on to, and um, to see all these churches around the country fight for the people they love. Again, across denominations, like people doing it in different ways, but the kindness of people who just really love God and love people fighting for their communities, being very real, being very raw, really meeting people where they are. I realized I had been so wrong and I just fell in love with the local church. Hmm. I feel like I used to be one of its greatest critics and I feel like um, it's like changed my life to see the local church up close and personal. And so even now, 10 years later, I mean, I'm still, I'm speaking in local churches all over the country because like, I love this capital C church with all my heart. And I feel like God has been so gracious to reveal to me the beauty of this community. And Mm -hmm. that's now what I'm not fighting against, but what I'm fighting for. Sounds like now you have more of a holistic picture of the actual church, which I think we can all do that. We can kind of view through our filter, our lens, just what we see or what we know God to be or God's people to be like. And really, you know, it's only a picture. It's only a snapshot. Yeah. I think Chuck Colson said this quote, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it was him. He said, the single greatest form of atheism is basically when believers profess Jesus with their lips, but deny him with their lives. And I think that that is something that I've always tried to, to live like 
am I living out what I say I believe? And so I think that's where a lot of hurt happens in the church overall, because like you, I've been in relationships with people who actually love Jesus. They just don't like the church. And so, uh, but I love that you began this journey of growing and seeing it, even in all its, um, you know, the body of Christ is made up of imperfect people. Mm -hmm. And so just showing the grace that you have received and knowing Christ. And so that's one of the things that I think is just powerful as people are processing through, you know, whether a church has hurt them or usually it's just individuals. And and so if we can just kind of come to a place where we support and love this body that is know, imperfect, but we're doing the best we can. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, if we as followers of Jesus can do our best to live out what we say we believe, I think we're um, helping the body of Christ grow and people love the church and get connected. Absolutely. And I think with my main goal being, man, I just want people far from God to know Jesus. Mm-hmm. My main life goal being, I just want everyone to know Jesus. It's yeah. really like an evangelistic lens in which I see the world. I think I thought that was separate from the church. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. And the okay. truth is that the church is God's favorite way. God's yeah. vessel. Yeah. That the community of the church is a part of God's mission to let people know how loved they are, for souls to be saved. And I think for me, I used to believe the lie that if the church hurt me or if an individual hurt me, then I should just leave the church, the capital C church, the community of the church. And now I'm just talking bad about all those people, right. how I'm above those people or better than those people. And the truth is that we won't see change within the church and lives fully healed and restored by the power of the gospel. If we just keep leaving the church and saying, I can't stand all those people, mm-hmm. we will only see change if we say we're the people, mm-hmm. we're the people that God has been calling. We're the people that can love people. We're the people that we've been praying for. We're Mm. the people that we've been begging God for. At some point in my life, I just learned that change was going to come from the inside. Mm. And the only way we were going to see change within the church is if people who really love God and really love people stayed in it, spoke truth in it, and were the change from within it. And so that's why I've decided to stay in it. I love it. Not that we're, you know, we're messy as this podcast reminds us, but that God through the cracks of our lives wants to reveal who he really is. And in order to do that, we have to step into forgiveness. We have to step into hard things. We have to step into hard conversations. So it's like you said, it's messy. It's not easy. How have you seen that practically play out? Like maybe when you've wanted to leave. That's a great question. Um, I think at some point I realized like how much victory the enemy was having in my life because of all the bitterness I was holding on to. Mm. And I just hate him. And I just hate what the enemy stole mm. from me. And I think once I realized that like my struggle is not with flesh and blood, but like these people are also people God wants to heal and restore. And best case scenario, we all get healed and restored and are all better versions of ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think when I realized like, man, this is the enemy having victory in my life and keeping me from me being the fullest, most healed Hosanna, then it became forgiveness became more of a vengeance. Mm-hmm. It became more of a, I'm not going to let the enemy have victory in my bitterness. That's good. And I'm not going to let the enemy have victory in my unforgiveness. And um, I have a friend who always says, you know, choose to be unoffendable. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that really helped me too, to say like, I'm not, I'm not going to be seeking to be offended. I'm going to assume we're all on the same side. And if you're speaking out of your brokenness, then I'm going to be praying for you. Mm-hmm. And there have been situations that have been harder to do that than others. Sure. Um, but I can see in my life, some of the moments and me and my husband would say this together where we have developed the most foundational character 
the the strongest character, the most um, consistent perseverance. Like when we've become better versions of ourselves and had stronger faith and drawn closer to Jesus in our lives, and then God has blessed us, you know, relationally, has been because of the times we decided to forgive people mm-hmm. that we had the right to not forgive in our own minds, right? Mm-hmm. We had the right. You did me wrong. Mm-hmm. You never said sorry. Right. Yes. And a lot of why I'm still in it, when I have seen things I shouldn't have seen and heard things I shouldn't have heard, is because of my consistent fight against bitterness and my, me and my husband choosing that we're going to forgive people as if we've been forgiven of terrible things ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think for me, there's probably more spiritual answer, but I do think for me, that's a way we've stayed in it and still loved being in it is, yeah. is choosing to fight against bitterness and unforgiveness that's in good. our lives. That's good. Um, I've always loved Romans 5, 8 that says, while we were still sinners, yeah. Christ died for us. And that's especially good news for me because yeah. I have a long ways to go. But here's a follow-up question for you to that. Because sometimes this can feel a little tricky yeah. to be in the world, but not of it, to love messy people without enabling, or maybe some people feel like, oh, well, I don't want to condone this behavior. So I would just love to hear from you because I feel like you're really good at speaking to this. Any tips for looking at Jesus's life and trying to love sinners just the way we want to be loved yeah. the way he did yeah. while navigating all the complexities, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes lots of sense. Um, something that I've really tried to unpack is when we're called Christ ambassadors mm-hmm. in Second Corinthians 5.20, that we're Christ ambassadors. And like, what does that mean in today's world? And in the modern world, ambassadors typically have to be bilingual. Mm. Typically, they have to know two languages. They have to know the language of the king, queen, nation they're representing, Mm. as well as the leadership and the nation that they're going to, to make sure that this very important message is not lost in translation and that the people who are waiting to hear actually hear the message that was intended to them. And I think that call to us as Christ followers, what does it mean to be Christ ambassador this year in the modern world, Mm -hmm. in many ways is a call to be bilingual, to know two things, to know the words and ways of the people around you in your community. What are the questions people are asking? Mm What are the hurts they're going through? Because the great news is that God has real answers for people's real questions in today's day and age. Mm -hmm. But some of us don't know the questions our family members are asking. So maybe we're giving them answers, Mm -hmm. preaching at them with answers for the questions we hope they have, but that's not what they're feeling. And that's not their lens of the world. If you think about an ambassador from nation to nation, they're going into a country that maybe has had different wars different hurts, a different cultural lens. In the same way as Christ's ambassadors, we might be thinking, man, why are my neighbors aversive to religion? Why do they hate religious people? Do I know? Have I had enough relationship with them and enough dinners with them to know their lens of the world? Mm. Why does my son or my daughter, my niece or my nephew um, have a hard heart towards these topics I'm bringing up? Do I know what they've gone through? Do I know what the hurt they've been through? Have I had enough of a relationship with them to know their lens of the world? I think one of the things that we can do, that we must do in order to let people know how loved they are by God is to know the words and ways of those around us, their language. And certainly that takes time. Mm. Learning another language takes a lot of time and intentionality. We don't always get it right, but it's a process. Mm -hmm. And so some of us know God's word well, and we can give a good five-point sermon to people really well. 
but we don't know what the people around us are going through or how they're listening. So sometimes we get lost in translation. So we need to know the words and the ways of the people around us. But the second thing we need to know is the words and ways of God. Yeah. We want to know what God is actually saying, mm-hmm. what God's answers are to people's real questions. And for some of us, that's the language that we don't know that well because we're not in God's word mm-hmm. intentionally every day. And so we don't know what God is saying or how these truths interact with our real lives because we're not in the word, because we're not talking to God. And you will know more the language of God and his words and ways when you're faithfully in a community of other Christ followers, right. when you're hearing what God is saying, um, not just what you're feeling, you know, not what just <laughs> It's convenient, but really at church, what the community brings out in you, what the pastor is teaching you, but also being in the word of God yourself. Because some of us, we have friends far from God. We're kind of a good hang for everyone. So maybe we know the words and ways of those around us, but we don't know the words and ways of God. When our friends who don't know God ask us about resilience and hope and fear and going through trials and their relationships, some of us don't know the answers. So I would say the call to be like Christ and to represent Christ, to be his ambassador is a call to be bilingual. Mm. And I think everyone listening can relate if we think to ourselves, what is one language that I think I can get a little bit better at? If I'm passionate about fighting for those I love and realize that so many people in my workplace, in my neighborhood and in my family don't know God, man, what is one language I can get a little bit better at so Mm -hmm. I can fully communicate this very important message to people who desperately need to know how loved they are. Man, that's exciting. I love that. So it kind of takes me to your book that released recently, um, How Not in parentheses, to save the world. Mm -hmm. And Hosanna, I think that's an interesting title because obviously you take out the word not, how to save the world, and Hosanna Wong, she has all the answers, and here you go. (laughs) Um, The little tagline on your book is the truth about revealing God's love to the people next to you. And I think, I remember back in the day when Chris and I started in ministry, we went to Willow Creek Community Conference, or Community Church, and it was a conference up in Chicago back in the 90s. And there was a book Um, I think the author was Mark Middleberg and somebody else. It was um, uh, Contagious Christianity. It was a kind of a study and it was teaching people how to minister from how they're wired and and what kind of their lens. And so kind of like what you're talking about. And I think that if we all took that idea where we're ministering to people who are next to us and figuring out how to, you know, share the gospel, Mm -hmm. um, it becomes a little bit more like a lifestyle and it won't be like, okay, I've got to go knock on doors this week or stand on a corner, Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with them, but that may not be everyone's style. So I would love it if you just kind of pick your book apart a little bit of just like, you know, when you wrote it, like, who were you writing to? Were you just hoping that it was a more of an evangelistic tool to people who would read it? Is that was your mindset there? Yeah, I mean, I definitely believe it's an evangelistic tool. But one thing I realized is that when people, well, people told me to write about what I know. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I'm not an expert at much, (laughs) but I am an expert at how not to show God's love to people because I've done it really wrong. Mm. I'm an expert at how not to talk to people about Jesus because I've let fear hold me back in many ways. And I'm an expert at how not to save the world. So here's a bunch (laughs) of lies that I have believed that have held me back from being fully myself, talking about Jesus and sharing his love in my everyday life. Here's a bunch of lies I've believed that have held me back. And here's the truth I've discovered in God's word about how we actually can 
talk about Jesus and show God's love in our everyday lives. Mm. And I have, through faithfully studying God's word and fumbling through my own very flawed progress, I discovered the truth and the truth is so much better. I think a lie that we often believe is that for me to share God's love, now I have to be like somebody else. Mm. Now I have to preach like that person. I have to do it the way I saw it done in the movies or how my parents did it or how that one preacher did it. But the call from God is actually a call to be more ourselves. That he said, how am I going to show people my love and how much I love them in this day and age. And then he created us. Mm. He was like, it's going to be your personality. It's going to be your background, your cultural lens, um, your hobbies, your quirks, your personality, even your questions, even your doubts. That's going to be what has commonality with the people right around you and you being more of who you are and knowing that it's your story God wants to use and your personality God wants to use. That's the truth that the enemy doesn't want you to know. So of course he wants you to believe the lie that showing God's love is now being weird. Now showing God's love is being less yourself. Now showing God's love is saying things and doing things you would never normally do with your friends. It's like, no, the call from God is to be more yourself and to discover how God wants to uniquely use you and your community. And so I wrote this book, How Not to Save the World, to help us combat the lies that the enemy has victory in our lives with when we believe them that hold us back from really showing God's love um, through our real relationships. Mm -hmm. And I shared earlier that I believe lies about how you know, the local church has nothing to do with it. And I try to stay separate from the church. And I've learned the truth about the beauty of the community mm-hmm. of the church, how mm-hmm. community is a big part of how God wants us to share God's love with people. I used to believe the lie that I had to wait for the perfect step, the perfect opportunity mm-hmm. before I said yes to God. And I learned when I packed my life in the suitcases 10 years ago that God was not calling me to the perfect step, but he was calling me to the next step. That's good. And as I fumbled through it and did a lot of things wrong, that I was actually really safe with God as I was obeying him as best as I knew how and trusting him, that I was more safe than I ever imagined. Um, I love this verse in 2 Corinthians 1.10 that says, he has delivered us from such a deadly danger and he will deliver us again. In him, we put our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Mm-hmm. We've seen an image of a God who isn't just rescuing us that one time, but is continuously available to us and, and rescuing us every time we step out in faith and maybe fumble here and there that we're more safe than we've ever imagined to take a step of faith. Um, knowing that like God loves us and likes us and he'd love to rescue us. And it, worst case scenario, if we take a step of faith and, and go towards God, but we fumble a little bit, we'll just be closer to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's a pretty good thing. And I've believed a lot of lies about myself and my story. And if I'm good enough or worthy enough, I'm the, if I'm the right person, if I've got the right skills. Um, I think a lot of us feel that way. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us, when it comes to talking about Jesus, we think, man, I just need to bring my family to church where they can hear a more experienced preacher. Mm-hmm. That's going to be how they're going to know God. Mm-hmm. Some people are called to share the gospel of Jesus, but I am not skilled enough, smart enough, or spiritual enough to seal the deal. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to mess this Jesus thing up. <laughs> what if they ask me questions and I don't have the answers? So because of these doubts and these fears and these lies we believe, we're not engaging in real relationships with people around us who don't know God. We're being less ourselves and the enemy's having victory in our lives because the people around us continue not to know how loved and valuable they are. And so um, that's why I wrote the book is because I'm on mission for everyone I know and for everyone you know to know how much God loves them. And um, 
I believe there is a way for everyone we know to know how loved they are by God. That's so good. I really like, as I, I've just I've been thumbing through all the different lies that you wrote about, one of them was wait for perfect, which is what you're kind of talking about. Like, oh, I've got to make sure that everything's lined up and the next step is the step. And um, sometimes we don't have any idea what step 50 will be right. in our own lives. So what is the step I need to take today? Right. Um, so, Hosanna, you know my story of my marriage yeah. devastation there from 20 years ago. And so people will often say, gosh, how did you get from there to here? And I'm like, well, I didn't know where here was right. 20 years ago. And I didn't know what was going to happen five days after everything fell apart in my world. But I knew, OK, what's what do I need to do today? Right. And so I think that's a powerful thing that if our listeners and just all of us really, as we can think through, like, what can I do today? Like, right. I might not lead my neighbor or my coworker to Jesus today. I might. I mean, God may open up the doors and hallelujah, let's have a party. But that may not be the case. So what can I do today? Is it being, you know, a friend? Is it letting them know I'm praying for them? I mean, that's one of the things I do with a lot of non-believers in my life is I'm like, hey, I'm praying for you. Is there any specific thing I can pray for? And what's funny is they may not even believe in prayer, but when I offer, they sure want me to pray, right. you know? So mm -hmm. I really like that. Don't wait for the perfect thing. Just take a step. Yeah. I think that, you know, 10 years ago when I went on the road, I thought God was calling me to do something like this is the thing you're called to do. Mm -hmm. but I know that God was actually inviting me to become someone right. to be healed of some hurts I had held on to, to become more of Hosanna. Um, and it started with me, you know, staying at this family's house, pastor and his wife and his kids, them offering for me to stay an extra couple of days and join their small groups and me stretching myself to be really honest in a small group of people and then letting this family into my life that began the journey of me being healed with the community of the church. One step, one step of me saying, I'm going to let these church people mm -hmm. into my life and see what community feels like. It was one step. I didn't know that I would end up falling in love with the local church and being a part of what I believe God wants to do in this generation in the local church. But at the time it was just one step. So in my head, I'm like, God's calling me to do spoken word, but God's actually like, I'm inviting you to be really healed from the stuff that's hurt you mm. and take greater steps of faith and realize that I'm your God and I'm your protector and I'm your provider. He was really inviting me to know him better mm -hmm. and to be in a deeper relationship with him. And I fumbled through things, you know, and I just think that, yeah, just take, you don't have to wait for the perfect step. Just take the next step because you have no idea who God is calling you to be and the journey he wants to take you on. He cares so much more about who you are than what you're doing. Mm. So as you feel this tug on your heart to take a step of faith, we sometimes talk ourselves out of it because we're like, well, how is that going to work then? Right. With what these people are going to say and with the resources and the finances, and then five years, what would the branding be? And it's like, man, for all you know, God just wants to get closer with you and he wants you to take a step of faith and you haven't been brave in a few years and God wants to bring something out of you that you've forgotten about. Yeah. And um, there's so much in the next step mm -hmm. that we don't see when we're waiting for the perfect step. I love that. And when you're talking about being brave, it sounds like you're saying that often we have this idea of like, I'm going to go do this big thing for Jesus, or I'm going to go save this person for Jesus. Yeah. And often it's smaller everyday faithful steps at a time. Am I, am I right? Oh, I think so. I think even with the title of a book, like how not to save the world, mm -hmm. what we had to address in the very beginning was like, it's not on you to save the world. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of listeners can feel that with the pressures we feel at work with our family, mm -hmm. with our churches. 
and with everything we see on our phones is like this need to save the world, the need to save our family members. And you are not called to save the world. That was Jesus's calling, Mm -hmm. not yours. And the great news is that he did it. Thank God. Mm -hmm. It's actually amazing news that Jesus is the savior and we're not. But that's not just permission to do and say nothing. Yeah. That's actually freedom. Mm. Freedom to do what God's called you to do and faithfully show up in the places and spaces you're called to and to naturally talk about God wherever you are mm-hmm. without fear of what the end results might be. Yeah. Because the great news is that this is not our mission. That's good. This is God's mission for him to be with people. So we're signing up to join him on his mission. Yeah. And he has other players in this mission and he's calling other people to join you in this mission. And he wants to show his love to people even more than we do. So we're joining him and we're freer than we've ever imagined. But I think you're right is that we sometimes feel this pressure to save the world. And that sometimes leads us to a place of guilt. Hmm. When we feel like we didn't seal the deal, we didn't get that person to come to church. And then it stops us from continuously showing God's love to people mm-hmm. or continuously inviting other people. Well, I've heard you talk about in the ways that I guess you got it wrong. You talked about that sometimes you were too aggressive yeah. or pushy with sharing the Ooh. gospel. And sometimes you were silent. Yeah. I want to hear the, I want to hear aggressive Hosanna. Oh my gosh. Come on, tell I've us done some it of that. so <laughs> wrong, you guys. <laughs> I have done it so wrong. I really am an expert. I really am an expert at how not to do it. Yeah, I think the best example example I have of that, one of the ways I've probably did it the worst was with my baby brother, Elijah. When our dad died, I was 18 and Elijah was 12 Mm. and Elijah shut down emotionally. Even though we lost the same person, we actually had a very different experience. Mm. We had a different lens of what that person meant to us. Elijah shut down emotionally. He didn't want to talk about my dad, much less God. And I ministered at Elijah so wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I knew the perfect plan of how not to save Elijah. I was very aggressive with him, telling him he needed to have better faith. He needed to stop being sad. God doesn't want us to be sad. He needs to pray bigger prayers. God's going to use us for his testimony one day. (laughs) And um, I realized when I would call Elijah, I was a freshman in college at the time, seven hours away from my hometown. That when I would call Elijah, he didn't want to talk about anything I wanted to talk about. Mm -hmm. He just wanted to talk about superheroes, Um, (laughs) which like I love (laughs) me the average Marvel movie. But, you know, when you meet someone who's like really into superheroes, they're like really into superheroes. (laughs) Watching a Marvel movie with them was like this whole other cinematic experience. And so my baby brother was really into superheroes. That was the only thing he wanted to talk about. And at some point I realized Elijah wasn't going to step into my world. I had to step into his. Oh, that's good. If I wanted a relationship with him at all. And so I became obsessed with these superhero comic books. That's so good. And I would drive seven hours into San Francisco, my hometown, to go to thrift stores with him and look at vintage comic books. When Marvel started making all these movies, Mm -hmm. I would drive in, we'd wear our Marvel t-shirts, get a big popcorn and watch it together on the big screens for the premieres. Now, I had no idea the commitment that would be and that Marvel would make movies endlessly to the end of all the time. But we fell in love with it together. I learned to love what he loved and see the world through his lens and his lens of the world had so many cooler villains and explosions. And it was very different. When I started dating my now husband guy, we were dating. He joined us falling in love with superheroes. Now Elijah has two people in his life who speak his language. And it was years of me learning what not to say. Mm -hmm. And I said something's wrong and he had to have grace on me mm-hmm. and just learning how to be with him. And um, it was 11 years mm. of me having this consistent relationship with Elijah where he knew his big sister was going to be with him. 
that his big sister was going to root for him, that his big sister was going to go to these movies with him. And I wasn't pressuring him to be healed. Like, I think for some of us, we can get so frustrated at the people in our lives who aren't as healed as we want them to be Mm -hmm. or as whole as fast as we would like them to be. And we're so angry at them for not being where we want them to be. And, you know, God was not so angry at us that he stayed far from Mm -hmm. us and made no way for us to know him. Instead, he sent Jesus to come be Emmanuel, come God on. with us. Come on. With us where we really That'll are. preach. Come on. And if we want to reveal God's love to people in our real lives, many times our greatest witness will be our witness. Mm. How are we coming alongside of people and being with people where they really are. How is your witness today with your family members? How is your witness today with your coworkers? How is your witness today with your neighbors? How are you coming alongside of people and being with them? Do you know their lens of the world? So it was 11 years later, um, through lots of fumbling and lots of superhero movies and, and sometimes yelling. There were times when I was so mad at Elijah. I was yelling at him of why he wouldn't let me in as much as I wanted him to let me in, why he didn't, you know, see me the way I saw him. I was also hurting, you know, and man, I, I had sent Elijah so many links to my sermons. I was sending him all these links. <laughs> watch this sermon, watch this sermon, watch, watch minute 15, 24. That and they were probably dang good. <laughs> Elijah, why don't you get it? But at one point I realized Elijah didn't need a preacher. He needed a big sister. Hmm. And 11 years later, Elijah came over to our house And he said, okay, I'm ready for the joy you have. Mm. I'm ready for the peace you have. I know it's Jesus because I've heard about it a thousand times. (laughs) I get it. (laughs) Look, God even uses the crazy talkative big sisters. And he said, but I don't have the right words. And to be honest, I also was like, I don't know the right words. Mm. I've never led a family member to Jesus Mm -hmm. before. And in many ways, this is a lot scarier than talking on stages to people. Right. And I thought, I don't have the right words either. And you know what? I'm sure any freshman at any Christian college could tear apart the correct theological words I may or may not have used in that moment. But in that moment, I realized how little it mattered, how much pressure I put on myself to save Elijah, to save the world, to have the perfect words, Mm. you know, to have the perfect answers when really it was me having commonality with Elijah that really bonded us, that I didn't have all the answers, Mm -hmm. that I didn't know why daddy died, Mm -hmm. that I didn't understand some of the things Elijah also didn't understand, but I was just with him into what he was into. And um, Elijah felt that withness. And then he saw the joy in my life and the peace in my life and the resilience in my life, not through a perfect, impressive person, through a real person. He really knew he saw how Jesus was transforming my life. Mm. And so the pressure to be perfect is off. The need to be a savior is gone. And Elijah gave his life to Jesus that day at our dining room table, Mm. just said, Jesus, I make you my number one, turned away from his sin, his shame, his regret. And even after we said, amen, I didn't know what to do after. Right. I had never gone through this moment before. It was kind of strange. Yeah. Kind of sacred. I love that. I was like, what do I do with my hands? Do we hug? (laughs) Like we're not an affectionate family. (laughs) Do we go out for tacos? I mean, what do we do? What do we do? We're not an affectionate family. Like we're very Asian. So absolutely. It was like, let's just kind of rub each other's backs and go out (laughs) for food. Um, But look, all all that to say is that if people want to guide to how to lead people in their lives to Jesus perfectly, um, I have no idea. But what I do know is that there's people in your life who need to know they're not alone. Mm-hmm. Yes. And why would they believe us that the God we're talking about wants to be with them if we don't even want to be with them? Mm-hmm. That's so So my powerful. challenge is to combat the lie that you're not the right person. You don't have the right story or the right skills. And realize that if you were to love like Jesus, 
How could you come alongside and be with people where they are? And as you're with people, they're getting a taste of what it's like for someone to be with them, Mm -hmm. for someone to be loving and alongside of them. So many people in our lives don't even know what it would be like to have a God in their lives, a loving father who is with them and for them, no matter what they're going through. They don't even know what that's like. And you're giving them a sense of what that's even like for someone to be with them and for them. Mm -hmm. So how is your witness? And then I would say, what's a language that you can get a little bit better at? So we can show people how loved they are. And then we can even learn how to communicate to them God's answers to their real questions. So good. I told y'all you would love this Hosanna girl. I love her. I mean, just such wisdom and depth. And I just think it's amazing how God has used you in the lives of so many people. And um, I'm one of those people. Mm -hmm. And I'm old enough to probably be, maybe be a teenage mom to you. But uh, (laughs) anyway, I... uh, I just appreciate you so much. I'm even inspired and also convicted that I need to be a little bit more with those people in my life that I know need Jesus. That's good. Yeah. 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 I have a couple of notes here to myself. Engage in real relationships, be intentional with those people around me, and then allow people to be in process, Mm. which is something that I know, but it's something that I need because the truth is I want God to allow me to be in process because I'm still in process. Right. Right. And so just remembering to extend that to other people. So, so helpful, such great reminders. And we always love to ask if there's any resources that have really just meant so much to you. Obviously we're going to link all of your stuff, which is just incredible. If you have anything else that you want to plug, please do. And then also if you just have anything specific that you're like, man, you got to get your hands on this. You're going to really benefit. We'd love to hear it. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, there's a few books that I love that have really transformed me and my faith. Um, wow. I can name so many. I feel weird. Uh, Sit, Walk, Stand by Watchman Nee. Just mm-hmm. beautiful about how to actually be a Christian and, and live um, based in Ephesians. Sleeping Over a Wall by Eugene Peterson. Beautiful story mm-hmm. of David and his flawed journey of faith mm. and who God uses. Really beautiful. Um, a recent book that came out this year was Sarah Jakes Roberts' Woman Evolve, which is just one of the most freeing from shame books I've ever heard of. She gives a story about redeeming Eve and how we love all these women in the Bible who are heroes, but we don't think of Eve as a hero because mm-hmm. we see a lot of shame connected to her story and how we oh, see wow. a lot of shame connected to ours, but how God wants to redeem people through our lives and mm-hmm. through our story. And so I think those three, those are two old school ones I always read over and over again, but also a current one from a fellow female who really just wrote a beautiful book against shame this year. Those are some books that I really love. Yeah, and thanks for connecting to mine, How Not to Save the World. Also, my sermon videos um, are on my website, hosannawong.com. If you're like, I'm not a reader. I'm more of a visual experience person. Mm -hmm. Then my sermons are there. Also on Instagram, hosanna.wong. I like to put lots of sermon clips there. I like to interrupt the scroll with truth. Yes. I like that. Interrupt the scroll with truth. (laughs) That is good. We interrupt these lies today with a sermon about who you really are. That's awesome. Yeah, that's how I like my social media. (laughs) That's how I like to see it. But also, if you love podcasts, you might love my audio book. Yeah. And um, they do. These people love podcasts. They're listening right now. I read my audio book. And I also have two spoken word pieces as interludes that I perform in the audiobook. Mm. So if you love that, you might love that too. Which I just feel like it needs to almost be mandatory. If you're listening to this right now, we're going to link a couple spoken word pieces. And I just want you to go and listen and be blessed and mm. just feel God's love just pour over you. Mm. So 
That's awesome. So, Hosanna, we always um, give our guests an opportunity to have one final word. You've said so many profound encouragements and truths to us today. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have been a vessel for God to use to probably get a lot of us off of the comfortable sofa we've been on, the comfortable spiritual sofa, mm. uh, to really make a difference and, and be a light to people yeah. and to just love them where they are. So what is anything you haven't said that you want to leave with our listeners? We'd love to hear. Yeah. The thing I haven't said that I'd like to say is I, I know we can feel really tired right now and exhausted and overwhelmed. And in hearing all these things God wants us to do and God calls us to do, it can feel overwhelming. Like there won't be any time then to rest or retreat because there's so much to do and so many things. And the great news that Jesus actually gave us this example of doing everything God called him to do and also retreating Mm. to spend time alone with God, also having a rhythm of rest. And we realize that, you know, Jesus knew where to go next and what to do next and what to say next. He knew what battles to fight because he first fought to spend time with God. That's great. We learned from him that we will know how to confidently stand in our purpose when we know how to consistently sit in God's presence. Mm. And the freedom and the truth I want to give everyone listening today is that Jesus is the one who saved the world and that calling is not on you. And Jesus also gave us an example of how we can say yes to everything God has called us to do and we can rest. Mm -hmm. Jesus did both. We can do both. We have all the time we need to do all the things we're called to do. That's good. And the lie that we can sometimes believe is that to live on the Jesus mission, we have to live exhausted, overwhelmed, and depleted. Mm -hmm. But the truth is that Jesus rested. Mm. and Jesus saved the world. Mm, Come on. So don't wear the weight of the world on your shoulders. That was not a role you were called to. Rest in Jesus and rest in the Savior of the world. Man, that's so good. Well said, well said. I can just hear the little messy table music happening in the background as she's (laughs) fading out. Uh, Hosanna, thank you so much for just sharing a piece of your story, a piece of your heart, a piece of just your genuine soul that rubs off on all of us. It's super contagious. And so we're just so grateful for your life. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me and giving me this opportunity to share with your community. I'm really grateful. You're the best. Well, as mentioned, all kinds of goodness will be linked in the conversation notes. And if you haven't yet had a chance to listen to Cindy Beal in the hot seat just a few episodes back, I would definitely recommend jumping onto that one next. Y'all, as always, you can subscribe to this podcast for free in places like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher. You can also join our very low maintenance email list if you'd like, which sends a notice to your inbox when a new episode goes live. And of course, we always love to connect with you on Instagram. You can find us at The Messy Table Podcast. Y'all, what's even better than listening to this episode alone is listening to it with friends. So text this episode to your friend, your mom, your neighbor, or better yet, share it on social media. It's a simple way to share these beautiful stories of hope. And lastly, friends, as you head back into your world and into your week, remember, yes, life is messy, but God is at work in your mess. Mm -hmm.